Hello, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. And what is Tarbis, I hear you cry? Well, Tarbis stands for Timely and Relevant Blogging, Including Sandwiches. It does indeed. And what does that mean, Carrie? That is a blog that we set up just about a year ago now about historical places that we'd been to, um, places of interest, and basically describing them, giving you a run-through of them, so that you can make up your mind whether to go there or not. Nine times out of ten, we suggest you do. Yeah, and we give ratings on all different things, from the facilities, to the place itself, to the upkeep, and of course, the cafes. Because that's all important. Definitely. But we decided that we didn't just want to write about things, we wanted to talk about them as well. So we set up a podcast, that you're listening to, which is all about... People, places, historical events, things of interest that we uh, we like to geek out about. Yep, we wanted to get on another platform because nerding about history is what we do best and we wanted another way of doing it. And sharing it with you lovely people. Now, um, you can listen in, obviously. You can also read our blog and get in touch. How can they do that, em? Well, it's using our handle, which is the same for Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and WordPress. And that is at Tarbis History. And Tarbis is all capitals and history is all lowercase. So come on in, have a listen, drop us a line if you think that there's someone in particular that we should talk about or, God forbid, we get something wrong. Definitely, if we get something wrong, I want to know. So sit back, relax and enjoy Tarbis After Hours. This week on Tarbis After Hours, there's a certain something in the air. Cards and flowers are being given, chocolates are being shared, and somewhere more than one forgetful bloke is in the doghouse. Not just blokes, some women too. Definitely. Yes, it is early February, and this week we've decided to look into St. Valentine's Day and the man behind the uh, so-called celebration. Now, whatever your thoughts on this holiday, it's not really something you can escape, and it is, without doubt, become very heavily commercialised. But where did it start? Well... The simplest beginnings is figuring out who St Valentine's Day actually was. Carrie, take the mic. Yes, boss. The first thing to know about St Valentine is that he is a patron saint of lovers, obviously, epileptics and beekeepers. Yeah. Um, Aside (laughs) from that, however, the waters get a little murky around Old Val. So, so murky, in fact, that in 1969 he was actually removed from the general Roman calendar but because of the lack of information surrounding him, although the Catholic Church does still recognise him as a saint. It's widely believed that he was a Roman priest turned martyr after being killed as part of the wider persecution of Christians by Emperor Claudius II Gothicus, full name Marcus Aurelius Claudius Gothicus. They just love the uh, the names that they had back then. Yeah, bit of a mouthful. Um, just a tad. And apparently he, he did this in around 270 AD. Um, his remains were buried on the Via Flaminia and uh, it, a basilica was allegedly constructed over his grave later by Pope Julius I. Another account is that he was a bishop of Terni in Italy who was, again, martyred. The common denominator here is that he was martyred or killed for his beliefs. But why? Well, we don't quite know that either. Again, the most popular theory surrounds Claudius II, also known as Claudius the Cruel. Interesting moniker there. Yeah, just a tad. I wonder what he has done. Um, He was responsible for involving Rome in a lot of wars during his time as emperor. Um, He was born in May um, 214 AD, CE, Mm -hmm. whichever you want. And he died in 270 CE, AD. 
So he lived to be around about 56, which is quite good going for back then. Yeah, it's about average. Yeah. yeah. Um, he got the name Gothicus because of his defeat of the Gothic invaders in 269. Um, he started out as an officer in the Roman army under Emperor Gallienus and later commanded his cavalry. Then when Gallienus was assassinated in 268, <laughs> sorry, it's just... <laughs> Go on, go on, say, why are you laughing? No, I'm not laughing because of the word anus. I'm <laughs> laughing because it's just so planned that when I don't know a word, you know exactly where to, what to say. <laughs> That's why we work so well. Teamwork. I'm glad you like to think I'm that immature to laugh at the galleanus. Yeah, but you did earlier, though. I did earlier. <laughs> anyway. Anywho. Um, when galleanus was assassinated... In 268, yep. uh, Claudius took power and suppressed an ongoing rebellion. He wasn't a wildly liked emperor, and only the um, central part of the Roman Empire really even recognised him as emperor. Okay. Um, he tried to take back the western part of the empire, but failed. He succeeded in destroying a large Gothic force near modern-day Serbia, however. So, Gothicus. Yep. Um, he died of the plague in 270 um, AD, whilst preparing for, guess what? more battles um, in order to keep up fighting he had to have a strong army which meant uh, plenty of men plenty of single men without ties to wives or families so in order to get this strong army he forbade any and all marriages and engagements throughout the whole of Rome this is where the legend of St Valentine's comes in so it's believed that Valentine was none too happy with Claudius's ban so he decided to defy the emperor never a smart move no and he married couples in secret, which meant that he was taking back men from the Imperial Army. I mean, really, did he honestly expect this to end well? Did it? Not even remotely. No sooner was he discovered doing what he was doing than Claudius sentenced him to death, and he was pretty darn serious about his army. Um, he was taken before the Prefect of Rome. Now, just a little bit of background. The Prefect, the Prefectus Urbanus, was basically an official appointed by the Consul, who was the head of the Senate, which was the ruling parliament in Rome, um, to rule in his absence. It later meant ruling in the absence of the Emperor. It was a post originally created when Rome was a kingdom, then it lasted into the Republic and later Empire, because Rome went through a couple of stages. Um, it was essentially a regent in Rome whilst the main man was away. Anyway... Valentine was pulled up before this prefect, and he was condemned to be beaten to death with clubs and then beheaded. And his skull is actually allegedly still on display today at the Basilica de Santa Maria in Rome. Um, there are also relics, or bits of his skeleton, in Ireland, Scotland, England, France, and the Czech Republic. So you could just pop off and see a bit of St. Valentine. Cool. Why not? Um, any clues to what date the sentence was carried out? Ooh... That's right, the Day of Love and Tenderness is essentially an anniversary of the brutal bludgeoning to death of a priest. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, that's a, a nice way to... Uh, you've just ruined Valentine's Day for me forever. Have I, though? Yeah, I can't now be like, oh, what a lovely day. I personally, before we did this, thought it was actually... I thought it was the martyr St. Valentine's, but I genuinely thought that it was like... Um, not going to have anything... It was just nice and love. I didn't expect it to be... Because we were deciding to uh, celebrate... Not celebrate, but, you know... Like his commemorate. bludgeoning. Like, it, it was his birthday rather than the day that he was beatily brutal to death. <laughs> brutally beaten to death? <laughs> beatily brutal to death? I shall now brute you to death? 
<laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> so, moving on. Swiftly. Um, part of the legend is that during his time in jail, whilst awaiting his trial and or sentence, mm-hmm. uh, Valentine wrote a goodbye note to the daughter of the jailer, uh, with whom he had struck up a friendship, and he signed the note, From your Valentine. He's so, a smoothie. Yep, so that's why we sign cards that way nowadays. Makes sense. Um, after his death, the Catholic Church named him as a saint. Fascinating as that is, however, we're not 100% sure if it is actually true. History mystery! Hey! In fact, we're not even sure which St. Valentine the day is named for, because there was apparently at least three St. Valentines, all martyrs, written or spoken about in the early stages of Christianity, and all associated somehow with the 14th of February. Okay. So, um, but aside from the one we just spoke about in Rome, there was the other in Terni, formerly called Interamna, that Carrie mentioned near the start, um, and yet another in the part of Africa controlled by the Romans. You see, the name Valentine comes from the Latin Valentinus, meaning strong or powerful, and it was a pretty popular name for Rome, for anyone in Rome at the time. Makes sense. Yeah. There was even a Pope Valentine and a Saint Valentine. And beatified, the term is. Ah, made a saint. Yeah. Why can't they just say made a saint? Why do they have to... Beatified or canonised. Made a saint. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This was as recent as 1861. Mm -hmm. So the name Valentine in Rome has been popular up until practically present day. Yeah. Um, When he was... But he was uh, beheaded in Vietnam. Okay. So if we can't really decide on who, how could we decide on when to celebrate? Well, this could actually be another example of Christianity adopting an older festival. In the Roman religious calendar, there was a feast called the Lupercalia, a festival of love, amongst other things. This Ew. was, uh, yeah, we'll go into that in a second. Mm. <laughs> this was celebrated all the way up to 496 CE AD, so relatively about 1500 years ago. Okay. Um, when Pope Galatius de- declared that February 14th would be the feast of Saint Valentine instead. But we can possibly trace some of our modern traditions to the Lupercalia, though maybe not the animal sacrifice part. As much as I would love, and I mean love, to go into the story of Romulus and Remus and the history of the Lupercalia, I'm going to show some self-control here proud and limit myself to the rituals. Proud Thank of you. you, proud of you. The feast started, as any good Roman feast should, with a bit of ritual sacrifice. Obviously. In this case, it was uh, male goats and a dog. Male goats representing um, the masculine, like... Um, things like that and the dog representing lust and strength and the whole thing behind it looper wolf dog oh right yeah um these were performed by specific roman priests called lupercai and then two lupercai were selected to have the blood from the sacrificial knife wiped on themselves and then washed off again with a bit of wool soaked in milk all the while they were supposed to be laughing kind of gives you an idea what sort of ceremony (laughs) this is um they then feasted cut some of the hide of the sacrificial goats and ran around the city either naked or near as damn it and used the bits of hide to whip at women that took their fancy. Interesting fact, one of the more famous um, members of the Lupercalia was Mark Anthony, Cleopatra's lover. He actually oh. ran around whilst um, Julius Caesar was lording it up and being like the lord of the Lupercalia. Mark Anthony was one of the men running around naked whipping at women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say what you like about the Romans, they were never dull. Frankly, I think that Cards and Tesco's finest flowers are a bit bland in comparison. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure... I mean... I would want 
The first one, I'd prefer the latter, but... So you, you wouldn't... You, you prefer the cho- one and chocolates and everything? You wouldn't want Ben running in a loincloth down the street whipping you with a bit of dead goat? <laughs> <laughs> I should just explain, Ben is a husband. Shockingly enough... <laughs> As hilarious <laughs> as seeing Ben run down the street in a loincloth trying to whip some dead goat. They're whipping you with dead goat. Is it, yeah, but I, he wouldn't be able to catch me. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah. there was an upside to being whipped. Right. Apparently, if you were one of the women that were hit by the Lupakai, it rendered you fertile. So basically, being smacked by a mostly naked priest wielding a strip of dead goat was a good thing. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't it be? There was also a lottery whereby names of eligible women were put into an urn and young men then took turns drawing the names out and they would then, um, how should we say, couple up for the rest of the festival? Maybe longer if they're, you know, if they're fit. So, uh, ye oldy keys in a fruit bowl then. Have much experience there, do we? I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, not many of those particular traditions transitioned over, but we can trace the idea of giving cards and love tokens back to around the Middle Ages when um, handmade gifts were the in thing, or verses of poetry. The earliest one being sent in 1477 from a Marjorie Bruce to mm. a John Paston, whom she described as her right well beloved Valentine. Oh, oh that's cute, isn't it? Right well beloved. Right well beloved Vantine, that was. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> then poets such as Chaucer or Shakespeare uh, put more emphasis on the romantic side of Valentine's Day. As poets would do. Yes. Uh, this gradual build-up of the sweeter side of things boomed with the Industrial Revolution uh, when it saw the creation of mass-produced cards. It is the most popular date for proposals, closely followed by Christmas Day and the 29th of February on a leap year mm-hmm. uh, so it's also the most popular date for wedding anniversaries double whammy if you forget then yep so that's the traditions and the man possibly even the origins but there's so much more to the festival of Valentine's Day than that I mean you've got the religious aspect of it if you're Christian then there's the flowers and the cards and the chocolate etc all the mushy stuff and the intense level of avoidance from the more militant singles or uh, anti-Valentines but what about a certain little cherub that makes an appearance? Cupid. Now, there is slightly more known about him, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to mention Cupid to just about anybody, they will tell you that he is like the god of love. But how much do we really know that is fact rather than fiction? I think this is wonderfully ironic because we know less about St. Valentine, who is supposedly real, and more about Cupid, who probably isn't. Yeah, and the fact that there was more than one St. Valentine as well. Yep. Um, so, who is Cupid? Mm-hmm. In Latin, Cupid goes by two names that have different origins, but whose meanings are both associated with love. One of Cupid's Roman names is Cupido, which means desire. If we stop to think about it, regardless of our age, the people we love deeply are the ones we enjoy and desire to be with as much as possible. So, it would make sense in a way. It doesn't necessarily mean desire in a sexual nature. Um, Cupid's other Latin name is Amor. Described by Shakespeare in A Midsummer's Night's Dream, lovely little bit of Shakespeare here, Mm -hmm. love looks not with the eyes but with the mind, and therefore is winged Cupid painted blind, nor hath love's mind of any judgment taste, wings and no eyes figure unheedy haste, and therefore is love said to be a child, because in choice he is so oft beguiled. Well, got goosebumps then. 
<laughs> Carrie didn't know I'd put a little bit of Shakespeare into this. So, oh, I'm so uh, happy right now. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. And I let you read it as well. Woo. And the, the fact that you read it as if you read Shakespeare all the time. I mean, I, I, I do like that particular book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know all of the verses. Um, but two of our major planets in our solar system uh, bear the name of Cupid's mother. Because obviously they say that love is written in the stars. Mm. Two planets were named Cupid's parents, Venus, and his father, Mars. <gasps> so Venus or Aphrodite, depending on Yebba. But Aphrodite was married to Hephaestion. Mm-mm-mm. Naughty, oh, naughty, naughty. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but although Cupid is never seen, yep. um, when the weather conditions are exactly right, both of the planets of Venus and Mars can be seen in the sky after dark, which is quite sweet, I suppose. Oh, Yeah. Um, some literature portray Cupid as being callous and careless. He was genuinely, uh, generally viewed as um, beneficent. Yep. I I read that. You know when you read words and you just they, I read it as maleficent and I knew it was wrong, <laughs> but I couldn't th- I couldn't read it as anything other than that. <laughs> God, this, this you is, got Disney on the brain. This is this is going fabulous. <laughs> um, but on account of their happiness, he imparted to couples both mortal and immortal. Um, at worst, he was considered mischievous in his matchmaking. Um, the mischief often directed by his mother, Venus slash Aphrodite. Who could be very, very vindictive. And hopefully one day, if we delve into like the mythological side of things, you'll realise that in the nicest possible way, some of the Greek gods were just a, a bag of dicks, really. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, half of the problems in Greek mythology is because Zeus couldn't keep it in his pants. Pretty much. And because Venus was just... Or Aphrodite was just vindictive. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But this is the the son of yeah. Venus. This is Cupid or um, Eros. Okay, so Cupid, as we've said, also known as Eros in the Greek, which is where we get the word um, erotic from, like physical love. Mm-hmm. Because Greeks had, like, different kinds of love, which we'll probably yes. go into it another day. Um, he was portrayed as a slender young boy with wings. However, following the Hellenistic Age that ended about 31 BC when Rome conquered Greece, uh, he was portrayed as the chubby little cherub that we are mostly familiar with, um, especially around Valentine's Day. In both Greek and Roman mythology, Cupid has always had a bow and arrow, which he used to shoot the power of love wherever he wanted it to go. Um, Some early artists pictured him as being blindfolded. Um, According to Shakespeare, the reason was because, as a chubby little boy... Cupid often changed his feelings about things, especially those having to do with love. And that's where we get the, sta- the phrase, love is blind. Because he's blindfolded, he can't really see, and you could end up being attracted to anyone. And because he was mischievous as well, it would most often be to cause trouble, which is basically the entire plot, more or less, of A Midsummer's Night Dream. Yeah, definitely. But it's also quite nice, and I think, personally, my own personal views here, mm-hmm. that we might have lost a little bit of the whole love is blind thing, because so many people just look on the face value of it. Yeah, we're, we're kind if of... If more people were blindfolded and they got to know the person. We're very much a culture of aesthetics now and that yes. everything is, is what you see. I mean, even things like, I suppose, the online dating where you get the chance to get to talk to somebody and get to know them before you meet up with them. You've still got to look past like their initial photo. For example, Tinder... Tinder, I say that's, yeah. that's window shopping for dating, isn't it? Without a doubt. You basically... How many times do you think people on Tinder actually read any bios? They just look at the picture and swipe left or right. 
the vast majority of the time it's just mm-hmm. a the picture because it's just quick to be honest with you which isn't really fair because you could be missing out on someone who's really really great yep. and perfect for you but yeah that's just life. that's just our opinions yeah sorry a um, <laughs> little bit of segue there we'll get yep. back um, although Cupid is portrayed with a bow and arrow he actually had two arrows or perhaps one arrow 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 with two very different tips a sharp one and a blunt one sharp tip blunt tip yep <laughs> um, if he fired the gold one which was a very sharp tip uh, the female's heart where it landed would immediately be filled with love and the desire to be with a certain male forever okay Shakespeare's words about Cupid changing his mind, like we said before, applied to the blindfolded Cupid and his use of the blunt-tipped lead arrow. Uh, Whether male or female, when the lead tip struck a heart, the message was that one person in that relationship wanted it to end and be free from that person forever so another relationship could be started. So he's not just Cupid the maker of relationships, he's also Cupid the breaker of relationships. Mm -hmm. So, according to some writings, Cupid personally experienced the pain associated with the lead arrow as a child. According to this account, um, as a small boy, Cupid, or Eros, uh, tried to get some honey out of a beehive and was stung in the process. Of course, the first person Cupid wanted help and comfort from was his mother. Naturally. So, even in today's world, when we experience pain... Although a lot of us around offer help and comfort to others, the person we truly want to be with is our mother because we believe that nobody's help or comfort has the power of love that hers does. And that comes from Cupid. Hmm. And being stung by a bee. Oh, wow. Yeah. But this is the account that obviously... Um... Sorry, I got distracted by two pigeons fighting on the roof. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't realise it was me. Anyway, yeah, um, sorry. Uh, sorry. <clears throat> yeah. And we're back. Carrie, are we back? We're back. We're back. <laughs> we're back. Um, yes, and the, the account of Cupid and Psyche. Yeah. Um, Cupid had a relationship with a woman named Psyche who led a very lonely life because none of her female friends liked her and none of the male gods paid any attention to her until she met Eros. Um, she had in the original legend she had sisters that were already married off um, she wasn't um, many experts in the world of folk tales and movies believe that the current popular Beauty and the Beast is basically a modern day version of the story of Cupid and Psyche um, while Cupid is always shown as having wings Psyche whose name means soul hence psych, like psyche, psychology things like that um, she's depicted as a beautiful butterfly to please her mother, she was given the task of finding her way to an underworld cave where she was to locate a special treasure box and bring it back to Venus. On the way back, Psyche opened the box because of her selfish desire to be loved and was immediately struck dead. When Cupid found her, he struck her with a golden arrow which brought her back to life so she could become his wife. Basically, he fell in love with her at first sight. Um, Cupid and Psyche are said to have had a daughter who was given the name Voluptus, meaning pleasure. Um, despite the fact that they were both very lonely according to the story they lived happily ever after one of the things a um, little bit of segue that I, I happen to know mm-hmm. um, when Cupid first he sort of abducted Psyche and he said that I will I will marry you and I will come to you at night but you must never turn on the light to look at me you must never see me because he didn't want her to know that he was Cupid Okay. Um, this is where the whole Beauty and the Beast thing comes from it's like she knew every day that she she was married to some guy. She lived in this beautiful palace. 
um, away above the clouds. She didn't know who it was. She eventually went down to see her sisters in the mortal world, and they were like, they were really jealous of her and all of her wealth and everything, and they said, well, you need to find out who this guy is. So she did. She found out, and she realised it was the god Eris, and things basically went badly for her. But eventually, they reconciled and had a happy life together. Yeah. Another account that I read, because obviously there was a lot on Cupid, so we're probably at some point going to do an entire podcast on Cupid himself. Mythology! Woo-hoo. Yep. Um, Sorry. That Psyche was actually more beautiful than um, Aphrodite. <gasps> so it was it was Aphrodite, Venus, who sent her to the underworld. Oh, no. Or, uh, and got, um, ordered Cupid to kill her. But Cupid fell in love with her. And that's how then... That's just another, another one that I read while uh, working on this. You do not say or have it proclaimed that you are more beautiful than Aphrodite. No, you do not. Two words. Trojan War. <laughs> um, so, back to the uh, to the the uh, Christian side of it that you said about. Okay, okay. To adapt myths for Christian use, medieval uh, mythographers... Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a cool word, isn't it? Yeah. Mythographer. I want to be a mythogra- mythographer. <laughs> anyway, medieval mythographers um, interpreted them morally. In this view, Cupid might be seen as a demon of fornication. They did have a kind of a tendency of demonising old gods. Yep. Uh, the innovative Theodolf of Orleans uh, wrote during the reign of... Charlemagne? Yep. He inter- reinterpreted Cupid as a seductive but malicious figure whose exploits, who exploited desire to draw people into a underworld of vice. Okay, so he's kind of like the little love-struck demon on your shoulder sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, To Theodolf, Cupid's quiver symbolised his depraved mind. His bow trickery, his arrows, poison, and his his torch, burning passion. So it was appropriate to portray him naked as to not conceal his deception and evil. So that's why we have the other depictions of him being naked. Like a naked little cherub holding a torch. That's why carrying mm-hmm. a torch for someone. Mm-hmm. Little Cupid with his burning arrows. Yeah. yeah, but that was Christians trying to prove, obviously, um, to give some mould to the uh, the Greek myths. Yeah, that he was actually the devil of fornication. Wow. Yep. Um, during the 14th and 17th century, um, painters created many works of art that showed Cupid as the baby angel. The same version then began to appear on Valentine's Day cards during the late 1800s. And ever since, the image of Cupid as a flying infant who inspires love has struck into people's hearts and minds. And it's the version of Cupid that we are most familiar with today. So that's that's little Cupid, that's little cherub, love is blind. Mm-hmm. That's basically, that's it really. That's Valentine's Day in a nutshell. That's all we could really find out about him. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit tricky because of him being so not well known. Yes. Or there the being so many mysteries surrounding him yeah. that we had to do more on other things. But it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. When I suggested uh, doing St. Valentine, because it's obviously Valentine's Day when this is um, on Thursday, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be not easy, but I thought there'd be loads and loads about them because it's such a... like. A famous holiday, such a yeah. well celebrated holiday. Yeah, I didn't think it would be as difficult as it has been. No, it's it's been a challenge. 
a bit of a mystery. But I think we've we found some good stuff out. It's been yeah. interesting, especially the stuff about um, like the Lupercalia and things. And yeah, Cupid. definitely. Yeah, so it's a, a modern day thing that's got ancient origins again, and most people don't realise that. So no. if we can teach a couple of people that, that's pretty cool. Yes. So end of the podcast. You know what that means? It's time for the ridiculous death. Yes, and this time we're we're not so much keeping it with the with the Valentine's theme, but with the romance theme. Okay. And uh, we're going a little bit further ahead than the end of the Lupercalia. Okay. We're going to France, eighty sorry, eight hundred and eighty-two. Oh. The fifth of August, to be precise, and to the reign of King Louis the Third. Um, he was he ruled West Francia, which is what France was called at the time, for only three years. But he had quite a lot of military successes. Um, he conquered new tracts of territory, defeated Viking raiders, but he didn't quite do that well with love. Oh, poor King Louis. On a, on a lovely autumn day in August in Saint-Denis in France, he saw a beautiful woman. Being a king, he wanted to, to woo her and pursue her and, you know, get her for his wife or, you know, one of his, one of his little bits on the side. <laughs> he was on horseback, so he decided he could catch up with her very quickly and chase her. Sounding good so far, you know? Yep. King riding in on his horse to woo the beautiful woman. It's, it's as if it's been written. He was so focused on this beauty in front of him, didn't see where he was going, whacked his head on a door lintel, fractured his cranium, and died. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, he was that enamoured... Took off like a, like Cupid's bow, Cupid's arrow, straight from the bow, straight forward. Didn't see where he was going. Conk, gone. But he must have died to teach us an important lesson. Look where you're going. Be careful when you're blindly following your desires. Things can actually crash down on your head in the space of a second. Literally for him. But on the plus side, good old King Louis won a Darwin Award for this. He did. He did indeed. <laughs> so, <laughs> Congratulations. That's... Congratulations. King Louis III, who ruled for three years, died because he... Because he really, really wanted to tap that. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being that poor woman. You hear the galloping hooves, you turn around, and all of a sudden, bonk. You just see the king pull off his horse. Wow. Wow. I mean, she must have been quite something. She must have been. <laughs> But <clears throat> yes, we've decided at the end of this one, just for a little bit of a bit of a laugh, I guess, mm-hmm. that um, we would end with some cheesy Valentine's Day chat-up lines. We would indeed, and uh, feel free to use them. Yes, and uh, if you get anywhere, let us know. You know, you can uh, you can follow us on Instagram, on uh, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Tarbis History. Yep. So if any of these chat-up lines work, drop us a line and let us know. Yep. Or if you have any other funnier ones, let us know those oh, as yeah, well. Absolutely. We were reading some to read out. We're going to read five each. And they're just, some are just so funny. They really are. And the cheesier, the better, and the nerdier, the better. Yep. yep, 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 yep. So, Carrie, you would like to go first? <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying not, to, trying not to laugh. Okay. Be <clears> serious <throat> now. Are you a banana? Because I find you appealing. <laughs> That's a pun as well. Yep. <laughs> Are you from Starbucks? Because I like you a latte. Hmm. If you're a triangle, you'd be a cute one. Hey, yep. hey. 
This is a sweet one. If beauty were time, you'd be eternity. See that one's that's not funny. That one's that one's cute. Yeah, that one's sweet. Okay. Uh, if I followed you home, would you keep me? That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of creepy. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> okay. Instead of that one, are you a keyboard? Because you are my type. Hey. Way. So what you well, got? <clears throat> if you were a chicken, you'd be impeccable. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> wow. Okay. <clears throat> Next one. You must be from Tennessee because you're the only ten I see. Smooth. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's your favourite silverware? Because I like to spoon. <laughs> oh God. Um. The only STD I have is sexually transmitted desire for you. I mean, that, that's that's kind of weird. That that does not start off well. <laughs> well. Um, I may not be Fred Flintstone, but I bet I can make your bedrock. Oh wow, that's direct. Yep, 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 yep. And my very last one is going to be some sort of homage to the uh, Cupid that All we right. were talking about. Go on then, hit me with it. Not literally. Oh, I've just found funnier ones. Oh dear. <laughs> um. Hey, have you seen Cupid? Tell him I want my heart back. Nice. Yep. Okay, then let's, let's do a couple more because you found some funny ones. I have. Huh. I'll cook you dinner if you cook me breakfast. Nice. Nice. Yep. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do my one. Are you a campfire? Because you're hot and I want s'more. Nice. Yep. Your name must be Coca-Cola because you're so delicious. Hey. We'll end on this one now. And I think this this is the pinnacle. If this was said to me, I think it'd have me forever. Alright. My love for you is like diarrhea. I just can't hold it in. <laughs> and on that bombshell <laughs> She's actually I, I don't I don't think we're gonna get her back from this stage and gentlemen, so I'm gonna sign off tonight. <laughs> it's uh, thank you for listening. If you've got any suggestions of where you want us to go next week, then, uh, yeah, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, let us know. You can also re- leave a review on iTunes. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. Yep, and have a very happy Valentine's Day on Thursday. Remember, even if you're single, we love you. Uh-huh. Be more convincing. <laughs> I can't help this it. This is like yet all over again. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Oh.